0: Well, good morning everyone. It's good to be together again, isn't it? Uh, Albeit uh, virtually. Our reading this morning is so easy to find. It's in the very first book of the Bible, uh, the book called Genesis. Genesis itself is a word that means beginning. And we're going to be looking at uh, the second half of chapter 37 of Genesis. Now, if you're sitting at home without a Bible in front of you and you wish you had one, Of course you can pause this video and go and get yourself a bible Uh, press start again uh, and you won't have missed a word just before we read for context we are traveling back in time some four thousand years often we take passages from the new testament about jesus who he was what he did what he said Uh, And that's going back 2,000 years. But today we're going back even further, another 2,000 years into history. Remarkably, when I thought about this, there are some things uh, that 4,000 years ago, compared with today, uh, haven't changed. 4,000 years ago, there were no schools. There were no clubs. There were no restaurants. There were no garden centres there were no cars on the road. There were no planes in the sky. But there is one difference, seriously, that I just want to share for context before we read. If today somebody asked you, where is Israel? Well, you may know. You may be able to say to them, well, I think it's in the Middle East. And, and if they pushed you and said, well, can you be a bit more precise? You, you may go and get your atlas and, and pinpoint it from that. And you may say, there it is, Uh, it's just below Lebanon, it's just above Egypt, it's just to the left of Jordan and Syria, hard up against the Mediterranean. But 4,000 years ago, if somebody asked you then, where is Israel? The right answer could well have been, well, I think he's in the kitchen. Because 4,000 years ago, Israel was not a place, it was a person. Israel was the name given to a man called Jacob and Jacob is famed for having 12 sons and the most famous of those 12 sons is Joseph and we are focusing our thoughts on that man Joseph uh, this morning in our reading but I thought it was just worth setting that context so that when you hear today or uh, in future weeks about the Israelites It doesn't mean they come from Israel the place. It means they are descended from Jacob, who was later called Israel. Just before we read, there's going to be another couple of place names in our story. You'll hear about Hebron and you'll hear about Shechem. And they were in a land which was then called the land of Canaan. Now you might ask, where was the land of Canaan? Well, coincidentally... The land of Canaan was broadly where Israel and Palestine is today. Let's read God's word together. Genesis 37, beginning at verse 12. Now, his brothers, that's Joseph's brothers, had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. And when Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are, grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, Reuben was the eldest of the brothers, when Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah, that's another of the brothers, Judas said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him For twenty shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? And then they got Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat and they dipped the robe in the blood. And they took that ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it. And he said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. And Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain. Of the God. May God bless His word to us this morning. I love this book. I love studying this book. I love the way that the living God speaks to people through this book, but I have to concede that there are bits of it which are very deep and very difficult, but not today. We're In the second week of our series, looking at Joseph and the language is really straightforward and boy, what a drama is unfolding. It's got everything. It's got family feuds, it's got failings, it's got jealousy, it's got hatred, it's got violence, it's got lies and deceptions. It's got everything. And round every corner there are new twists and turns and big surprises too. So you have to stay tuned. Not just this Sunday, but for the Sundays to come as we go through this adventure of Joseph. Well, who was he? Let's recap very, very briefly. Joseph, uh, his great grandfather was Abraham, an ordinary man to whom God made two extraordinary promises. And even though Abraham was elderly and without children, God revealed himself himself to Abraham and promised that not only would he father a nation, but that through him, through his bloodline, all nations, all peoples of the world would be blessed. And although it was extraordinary, Abraham believed God. Well, that was Joseph's great-grandfather. We've now come down the family tree. We, we remember that Joseph is one of 12 brothers, uh, probably because of Andrew Lloyd Webber and his great musical Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Joseph is the most well-known of the 12. By the way, parents, uh, in this period of lockdown, you could do worse than to download that musical and, and get the words and sing along with those songs. It's a great way to cement this story uh, in the minds of the young. I-, I did it when I was at school, and still today uh, I can remember the tunes and remember a great many of the words too. It's a really good way and a helpful way of, of learning. Anyway, uh, let's go uh, back to Joseph, uh, 1 of 12. We, we looked last week at a, just a couple of aspects of his life. Uh, firstly, he's identified by wearing a robe, a richly ornamented robe robe. The only clue we get to this robe is that the same word is used only once again in the Bible, and it describes a robe being worn by a daughter of King David himself. So it was a robe that signified importance, status, authority. the other thing about Joseph that we looked at briefly was that he had dreams. It's interesting that actually Joseph becomes more famous for having the gift of being able to interpret the dreams of other people. But so far in our story, we've only seen that Joseph himself has received two dreams. We looked at these last week, so very, very briefly, just to be recap. He was out in the fields with his brothers working with corn, and suddenly the uh, sheaves of corn that belonged to the uh, eleven brothers all bowed down to Joseph's sheaf of corn. And, and then he had another dream, and this time it was 11 stars and the sun and the moon bowing down to Joseph himself. And the family were absolutely clear what this meant, and uh, they didn't like it. Uh, they believed that it meant, very crudely, that one day they would bow the knee to Joseph, and, uh, and they weren't having it. If they were alive to su- today, they would have said to Joseph, "'In your dreams, mate.' But they didn't. Do you really expect us to bow down to you, uh, is what uh, they were saying. So he had these these uh, dreams and they hated him. Except Jacob, it says in verse 11, and we ended with this last week, rather than just dismissing it, he held the matter in mind. He thought about it. And that's a good thing. When it comes to spiritual things, there are so many things that we don't understand. But that's okay. That's fine. But the the lesson is, don't dismiss them, but hold them somewhere so that we can think about them and ponder them again, because these are important things. It reminded me of Mary, the mother of Jesus, 2,000 years uh, later on. Uh, who, again, she didn't understand everything, but in Luke and chapter 2, there are two occasions when it says that something had happened, she didn't understand it, but she treasured these things in her heart and she pondered them, she thought about them, and that's a good lesson for us when it comes to spiritual things. Let me also say one other thing. We mustn't bring our prejudice, our Western prejudice, to this story, these events. Uh, In the West, we view dreams as just nonsense and silliness and I can tell you that no one has more nonsense and silly dreams than than I do but in the Middle East as in elsewhere in this world it's very different and those of you who know Maureen and I know that we've had the privilege of traveling to the Middle East going to Israel on on numerous occasions and through those travels we have met people And we've read and heard about a lot more who have turned their back on the shackles of their religions and put their trust in Jesus simply because of the dreams they've had. So God, in areas of this world, uses dreams. I cannot explain why, but I know that it's true. Okay, back to our story today. We've got Jacob sending Joseph To his 11 brothers who are out there looking after the the sheep, Uh, he wants to know, Jacob wants to know, that all is well with them. And so uh, uh, Joseph goes. Now, he doesn't just go down the lane to a field nearby. Uh, In those days, in that country, great distances were travelled by shepherds looking for food for sheep. And we're told in this story that although they lived in the valley of Hebron, uh, that the sheep were being grazed in a, in, in a place uh, called Shechem. And Shechem is 60 miles from from the, the valley of Hebron. Uh, and even when he gets to Shechem, Jacob uh, Joseph finds that they're not there. And so he asks and, and he's told, oh, they've gone on to a place called Dothan. And that's an, another uh, 20 miles. And yet, um, on the way, before he arrives at his brother's, they spot him, remember their hatred of him, their rejection of him, and they come up with a plan. Look, if we kill him, then let's see, they say, what becomes of his predictions, of his dreams. Well, uh, as they get to Joseph, or Joseph arrives there, uh, the plans begin to change. At first, they were going to kill him. Then they think, "Well, we're not kill him. We'll just put him into a pit and we'll leave him there." Uh, uh, and then things change again because some nomadic traders, some Ishmaelites, are coming down, and they say, "Well, we can make some money out of him." And it was Judah, in fact, who who uh, uh, who decided to to suggest to sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites, and that's what happened. They took him down to Egypt. And there the Ishmaelites sold him into slavery. Meanwhile, the eleven brothers take this robe of Joseph's, they put the blood of a goat on it, and they go home and they deceive Jacob, their father, who believes that his son Joseph has been torn to pieces by a wild animal uh, and that he will see him no more. It's a great story, isn't it? It's a great adventure. But we have to say, well, so what? It, It happened so many years ago, 4,000 years ago, to a family that we don't even know. So it's worth just pausing there and asking ourselves the question, what's in this for us? Well, I think two things. Firstly, we have the benefit of being 4,000 years later than the story we're looking at. We can look back and see what's happened in history. Remember that strange promise that God made to Abraham, that he would be the father of a nation. And now we can look back and we can see that that has already been fulfilled in the nation of Israel. It's been fulfilled. It's wonderful. We can trace the line back from King David. King David, about a thousand years later than the story of Joseph, he was the king that really unified The twelve tribes of the Israelites into a single nation in the land that God had led them to. And we can trace the bloodline all the way back from King David back to Abraham and of course via Jacob and of course via one of Jacob's sons. And you would have thought it would have been Joseph, wouldn't you? But it wasn't. It wasn't the oldest. It wasn't the youngest. It wasn't the favorite. Uh, As Joseph became, uh, well, and and Benjamin also, Joseph and Benjamin were from the wife, Rachel, that that Jacob loved the most. It wasn't. It was from Judah. Judah, another of the brothers. And he was a rascal. and he was born to the wife of Jacob, who Jacob didn't even want to marry in the first place. They say God moves in mysterious ways. And just, we'll hold that thought about Judah. And just so you understand what a rascal he was I'll say to you again tune in next week uh, when we'll focus a little bit on the life of Judah so that's great we can see how uh, looking down through history we can see how that first promise has been fulfilled but also we can trace that bloodline from King David all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ And of course, it is through the Lord Jesus Christ that the second promise has been partially fulfilled and continues to be fulfilled. As millions across the world, from every nation, every country, all the continents, are putting their trust in the Lord Jesus. And the church of the Lord Jesus is growing. The family of the Lord Jesus is growing and growing and growing, no matter what happens in This world. But there's something else as well. Another reason. I want to take you back a couple of weeks to Easter. In our Easter service, one of our Easter services on on the, the Sunday morning, Easter Sunday, was looking at a conversation that Jesus had with two believers on their way home to Emmaus. This was on the very day that in the morning, Jesus was absolutely, certainly dead. By the afternoon, he was absolutely and certainly alive, revealing himself to different people. And he revealed himself to these, these two people. And it says that as they journeyed, he opened the scriptures to them. But it doesn't, it doesn't just say that. It says that he began at Moses and all the prophets, and he explained to them the scriptures as they related to him. And so what Jesus was saying to these followers was that these scriptures that you treasure, uh, the books of the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the bible including the book of Genesis that we're in this morning, and, and these and, and the writings of the prophets that came after Moses, all of these things point to Jesus was saying point to me. Uh, they point to my coming. They point to my death. They point to my resurrection. They point to my kingdom. And so when we know that, we ought to, when we are reading the Old Testament, have half an eye on, well, how do these things relate to Jesus? Now, of course, they relate to him in a very shadowy way. Uh, They only come into clear and sharp focus when Jesus himself comes. But just think about our story and how we can have Jesus in the back of my, uh, our minds as we think about it. Where was Joseph? He was with the father, the father who loved Joseph. He was in a place where he was honoured honored by the father. And he was at home uh, in a place where he was completely untouchable. And yet Joseph went to a group of people who he knew hated him, who had rejected him, not only rejected him, but rejected his message as well. Why did he go? Well, it says, firstly, the father sent him in our passage. It, it, Saint Jacob simply says, I am sending you. And it reminded me how 2000 years later, John, one of the closest followers of the Lord Jesus, who wrote some of the books of the New Testament, says very simply in, in his first letter, the father sent the Son to be the saviour of the world. And you don't see, you don't see uh, Joseph complaining. You don't, you don't see him saying to Jacob, why would I want to go to these people? He simply says in verse 13, very well. And so it was with Jesus. Uh, although the Father sent him, we have a picture of one who wanted to come. And we're so willing to come. There, there are all sorts of verses that I could mention to you or bring to you to, to describe this. But uh, I've just got one in my mind, which is uh, from, uh, from John again, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4, when Jesus is in Samaria. And he says to his followers, my food, uh, some versions say my meat, or your version might, says, uh, might say my, my nourishment. If it was being written today, John would probably use that horrible expression, the thing that gets me up in the morning. That's what he's really trying to say, that Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Jesus came because he was sent, but he wanted uh, to come as well. And he, he, he came Willingly, even knowing the reaction that he would get. And what do the brothers do? They think that if they kill him, that will be the end of all these predictions coming true. And that's the same reaction, of course, that happened when Jesus came. Again, there are so many verses that we could look at. I'll just pull one from Matthew chapter 24, where it says the Pharisees, the religious leaders of today, they went out and planned how they could kill Jesus. That was their reaction too. They did not want this Jesus to rule over them. Jesus told a story uh, that, that illustrates this. In Luke and chapter 19, it was one of those parables explaining to his followers what the reaction would be when he came. And during that little story, we haven't got time to go into it, but you can read it for yourself in, in Luke and chapter 19, the people who see the sun coming say we will not have this man to rule over us. And that is the reaction when people are presented with the Lord Jesus. And so they plotted to kill Joseph just as they plotted to kill the Lord Jesus. Now, here, of course, we can't finish the story without borrowing some of the facts from uh, from what happened later on. And I'll just say Without any detail, because I don't want to spoil what's coming in future weeks, but it's important that we see and we understand that those predictions that were made through those dreams about the sheaves of corn and the stars in the sky, they did come true. They did come a day when those brothers did bow down to Joseph. And firstly, they bowed down to him because they had to. For Joseph had reached a position of such unimaginable authority that they had no option but to bow the knee to him. And when he revealed to them who he was, well, they feared for their very lives. Suddenly they were filled with remorse and regret for the way that they had treated him, what they had done to him. And they fully expected death. They fully expected to be condemned, to lose their heads, and what's more, they knew that they deserved it. And yet they moved from that position of bowing the knee because they had to, to a position of bowing the knee to Joseph because they wanted to. Even though they were full of remorse and regret for what they had done, even though they fully expected and deserved death for what they had done, they found that Joseph loved them. They found that Joseph acted graciously towards them, provided for them. They found that Joseph was full of forgiveness for them. And ultimately, Joseph rescued them and provided for them a new home. And that's something that we should think of today, because in a way, although 4,000 years have passed, human nature hasn't changed. Our human nature today is just the same as the human nature that were in the brothers of Joseph. What I mean by that is that when we are presented with the claims of Jesus, something in us says, we will not have this man to rule over us. We will not bow the knee to him. And although we don't kill him physically with bullets and bombs, in a way we kill him in our lives by living as if he was dead, by living as if he never came, never died, never rose to life again, never ascended to heaven and was never coming back again. And yet that's what the scripture says. If we look into the New Testament in the book of Romans uh, or the book of Philippians, we read that there's coming a day when every knee will bow to this Jesus and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And it's going to be exactly the same then as it was uh, all those years ago in the days of Jacob and Joseph and his brothers. Some people will bow the knee then because they have to. They will be confronted with someone of such unimaginable authority that they'll have nowhere to go but to their knees. But the great news is, and the reason that churches open their doors, well, electronically anyway, and the, and why the Bible is opened in every country across the world To present Jesus to people is that people can make that same journey that the brothers made, away from having to bow the knee to Jesus because of his unimaginable authority, but wanting to bow the knee to Jesus because as they learn of him, they realise that he is just filled with love, filled with compassion, that he acts graciously uh, towards us, that he forgives us, for the way that we used to be towards him and that he gives us promises not only for this life but holds out promises for the life to come with him. That's how we can see just glimpses of Jesus in the story that we've had this morning and how those glimpses will get bigger and more obvious in the coming weeks as we continue uh, with this series. It's a good thing maybe like Jacob and like Mary, that we too just don't dismiss these things, but we hold them in our hearts, in our minds, and especially in these very peculiar times. Maybe we give these things more thought than we have before. Let me end just by saying that when I introduced the reading this morning, I mentioned that Jacob had another name. His name was given to him as Israel. And Israel means vessels with God. And it comes, you'd have to read it for yourself, and it's not in such clear language as the stories that we are reading today. But it comes from Genesis chapter 32, when Israel came to a point in his life, sorry, Jacob, before he was called Israel, came to a point in his life when he just knew that he needed God to bless him. His whole life up up until then had been a a life of running away. He'd run away from his brother who wanted to kill him. He'd run away from his father-in-law who wanted to kill him. He was always on the run, but he came to a point when he just knew that he needed God to bless him. And when we read it in Genesis 32, we find that he, he clings on to God and he will not let him go until he knows the blessing of God. And it's because of that clinging on and that wrestling that he was given this new name, Israel, wrestles with God. And it's a good thing to remember that we have a God with whom we can wrestle. Now, I, it, that, might, that might bring all sorts of images of boxing rings into your mind. It wasn't like that. If we look into the, uh, the book of the prophet Hosea, Hosea in chapter 12, Hosea explains that Jacob wrestled with God, With petitions and with tears. In other words, he was clinging on to God and he wasn't just using flimsy, shallow words, but he was unburdening to God his very deepest emotions, the things that only he felt, the things that were hidden, I guess, from all the people around him. And that is what God is like. That is what God is still like. He invites us and perhaps particularly in these days when there are so many things which are uncertain when people are, are facing all sorts of difficulties they never imagined when people are going through tragedies in their own lives when all of these things uh, the things that we thought were fixed and permanent and there forever they've simply turned to dust maybe in these days of such uncertainty we might be brought to a point where we just know that we need God to bless us. And God invites us, uh, as he did for Jacob all those years ago, to cling to him, that we might come to him and unburden all our deepest feelings, all our deepest longings, even with tears. And Jacob found that to be a great blessing in his life that never left him. And my prayer is that if we're brought to that point as well, uh, that we will find that a great blessing to us. I don't know when that day will be, but until it comes, let us be like Jacob. Let us be like Mary and hold these spiritual things in our minds, in our hearts, so that we might ponder them in the future days. May God bless us all uh, this morning.